1: And welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and I'm joined by the Michael Carrick this season's my Michael Carrick last season. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how
0: are we? I'm bloody knackered. I can tell you that I'm bloody knackered. I've I've done some activity this uh, this afternoon. Um <laughs> at the time of recording on, on a Sunday. Yeah. Been been very busy,
1: been a busy boy today. You are you gonna tell us or are you gonna leave us in suspense? I it's really not that interesting. <laughs>
0: It is, it is. I want you to ask me and I want you to go into a big thing a bit, but you're not going to because you're clearly not interested. But I did a CrossFit competition, big, big competition, lots of heavy lifting and what have you. And it's, uh, it's good fun. People should try it out. It will, it will change your life. It's not a cult, but it is a
1: cult. It sounds like an Olympics for accountants and PR people. <laughs> and divorcees, yeah. <laughs> Was it? <laughs> well, I'm not there yet, but maybe in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm happy for you, Justin. I'm glad that you found something to keep you interested, apart from championship football. It keeps you occupied and keeps you out of trouble, doesn't it? It, it
0: does. I and mean, you've got to make yourself interesting. And and by doing that, I'm getting a six-pack at the same time. You know, you know, what can be said for you, Ryan? What What are you doing to change your life? Hey, I've got a
1: six-pack. Six-pack of tinnies, am I right? Ooh, lads, lads, lads. <laughs> um Gotta hate myself. Welcome to the number one championship <laughs> podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, we're here to talk about the weekend's action in the championship once again. Well, I mean, some of the games we've had this weekend have been absolutely mind blowing. So we'll get our teeth into that very shortly. We'll also talk about some of the news from the past few days, talk about some of the polls that we've put out on Twitter for our listeners, and then finish off with Simon Grayson's hate for late right at the end. So on Friday night, it was another disaster class for Southampton as they were beaten 4-1 at home by Leicester City. Some three-word reviews from Saints fans on Twitter. Uh, Le tiserable" says, <laughs> shocking defending again. Ethan says, it was absolute dog shite. Now I'm just filling for a sec as Justin Peach gets on top of his high horse again to talk about Southampton. There he is, he's on it now. Go ahead, Justin. Yeah, you're too fucking right again on my high horse and dropping the F on
0: this early in this episode because I've had so much abuse for basically spitting facts over the last three or four weeks. And it's very clear that I don't have an agenda. I've just been stating the absolute obvious, um, which happens to be two things. Possession in the final third isn't good enough and then it gets lost and then possession gets turned over quickly and Southampton cannot deal with that defensive transition. It's frighteningly bad. You shouldn't be conceding... Type of goals that they have been over the last two games when you are expected to be pushing as high as they 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 want to be, or the expectations to push as high as they want to be this season, got to impose yourselves, and they just don't. Um and and this game proved it. Leicester had their number. I don't think Leicester had to do a lot. I thought Southampton were just incredibly, incredibly poor out of possession. And Russell Martin praising, not praising the players, but Not laying into him as much as he should or not asking questions of himself as much as he should really, really surprised me. And it sort of concerned me a fair bit as well.
1: Yeah, Southampton have now tied for the championship record for the most goals conceded in the first six games. They just cannot defend, can they? They've been a shambles Mm. at the back since the start of the season and... Seem to be getting worse, which is yeah. the most remarkable thing. Nine goals conceded in two games. And how many of those goals have been entirely avoidable? I would say all but one. And I mean, a big portion of that, uh, well, a big portion of the goals they've conceded have been from them passing out from the back. The last goal against Leicester was just embarrassing. The furthest outfield player was halfway into the opposition half. And there was still 25 minutes to go. It wasn't like it was the dying embers of the game where they're trying to snatch a late equaliser. They still had a chance at that point. And look, I think Southampton will come good under Russell Martin because they've got a very good side. It will take time for them to transition into how he wants to play. And those errors... Passing out from the back will get ironed out over time. A lot will depend on how much time he gets, though, because the supporters certainly don't seem impressed after two batterings in a row. I imagine the owners are very keen to get back to the Premier League at the first time of asking as well after spending so much money this summer. So if there isn't a drastic improvement, I wouldn't be surprised if his position is under threat. You've got to ask
0: two questions. Was the transfer window good enough or is Russell Martin not good enough at this point? I do agree with you. I think he will get it right in time. But what is time? Is it eight months? Is it two months? Is it a couple of weeks? Whatever the case, if results don't improve—no, no, no sorry—if performances don't improve, because that's the big thing for me. I don't—I've not been overly impressed with the balance of performances this season at all. I think they've been very fortunate to have not come up against too many teams who have had the quality that Leicester and Sunderland do in the way of putting chances. But when you consider the Norwich, Leicester, and um, and Sunderland have put 13 goals against um, away against Southampton in, in those three games. There, there's a lot of quality in those sides, and they've punished Southampton. They've punished Southampton royally. That's the, the big worry for me. And the other big worry that uh, for me under Russell Martin is the fact that defensive transitions have never, ever looked convincing under him as a manager. And that's the big, big concern. He's never addressed those issues in any of his roles, they look just—they looked just as vulnerable in the defensive transition in this game as he did against Sunderland, and as he did against Norwich as well. Um, in fact, as they did against uh, QPR, they, these things aren't being addressed, and Russell Martin completely ignored it. He just said, "We we basically must do better," without actually pinpointing what the issue is uh, in his post-match um, words after after the game. I'm just massively disappointed with Russell Martin and and Southampton. It's it's not good enough.
1: Yeah, you mentioned how long it's gonna take for Southampton to get things right. I think it looks like it's a long way off have it. Doesn't, the moment, have, time. It doesn't it? have time. No. No well this was without a doubt Leicester's best performance so far. Once it admittedly the bar wasn't extremely high before that, but most Leicester fans I think will agree with that. They haven't been playing brilliantly, have they? But this was more like it, even if it was made a bit easy for them at times.
0: Yeah, I don't think you could take any way, anything away from Leicester because if you get put up against an opposition who give you the openings that Southampton did, you've got to take them. And you look at the games that Southampton have come through, like QPR, they haven't had... Those teams haven't taken them and Leicester did, but they've got a lot of quality in their team as well. So you expect them to do so. But there were some really good effective moments in and out of possession. There were some moments of disorganisation, but you expect that in, a, in an expansive team. And I think Leicester, with the ball in possession... Is a blueprint of where Southampton should be heading. As I say, I think Southampton are too pedestrian, whereas Leicester had a bit more punch about them in possession, especially on the counter attack. But there's the the third Mavardy, sorry, the third goal that Mavardy scored. Thirty three passes in that sequence of um, for the goal. It was it was great. They were probing in and around the edge of the box and then it would recycle it, find space and get the ball into areas to pull Southampton out of shape. It was really effective and a really nice glimpse of what Moresca ball can look like over the coming
1: weeks. Well, Leicester fans seem to have got the idea that I'm anti-Leicester after (laughs) my comments about their transfer window, which just isn't the case. Even though they massively overspent on certain players in the summer, I've always been backing them to win the league. And that's still very much the case in my mind. Because as I was saying, the players who they've come down with and kept around are simply way too good for this level. A greater example of that is Wilfred Ndidi, who took his goal really well. He isn't just a Premier League player, he's a top-half Premier League player, isn't he? Ditto and Dewsbury hall He got a great assist for one of the goals. James Justin made his first start, and he probably fits in that top-half Premier League category as well. Jamie Vardy got his first goal. Casey McAteers had a great start to the season, despite being a young lad who had barely played for Leicester beforehand. And Steffi Marididi was excellent as well. Particularly with the last goal, which he took really well, even though, again, made quite easy for him. Um, It's a statement win for Leicester, without a doubt. It could be the springboard for their season properly getting started, couldn't it? Because when you have a game like that, where they just tore the opposition apart when they haven't done that previously, it could be, you know, them going on to bigger things quite quickly
0: first half goals as well they, you know, Leicester really put their authority into the game by taking the chances that were that were put for them they, they just haven't done that enough this season and um, I think the stat before the, the, the previous game before the international break was that they haven't scored a winner before the 72nd minute whereas in this game the fans were able to breathe a sigh of relief, and they were able to put Southampton to the to the sword, and that's what you really need to do if you if you're going to win promotion, if you're going to compete for the title in the Championship, you've got to be ruthless. And Leicester were, and you've got to remember that they were both Premier League sides last season. So for Leicester to to mm. do this and and put them away like they did, as comfortably as they did, it was a comfortable game for them, especially in the second half. Then, yeah, you can't you can't complain. You can only praise.
1: It wasn't nine 0 though, was it? Could have been better. Uh, in the <laughs> South Wales derby, Cardiff beat Swansea 2-0. Only the second time in the last 10 meetings between the pair that Cardiff came out the winners. Swansea have really dominated the fixture over the last few years. So a huge result for Cardiff. We'll talk more about them shortly. But from a Swansea perspective, boy, oh boy. Here's some three-word reviews. Swan's cast says absolutely no direction. Gate 2 says get Duff out. Dan James says sack Duff yesterday. Let's be honest, they were absolutely crap, weren't they, mm-hmm. Swansea? Their first meaningful chance didn't come until the 92nd minute. And, I mean, that was a half chance at best. It was just a truly awful showing in a derby. And Michael Duff admits he's a man of depression already. And as we've just been hearing, Swansea fans aren't happy, Justin.
0: I'm not surprised because I didn't see anything that convinced me that is going in the right direction at Swansea, which is frustrating because Duffy, Michael Duffy is a good manager, but sometimes you've got to understand that club identity is a big thing. Um, Swansea made big strides, especially in sort of the latter third of last season under Russell Martin. So there's a possession-based system, as we all know with Southampton. We all know how Swansea played last season under Russell Martin, etc. Um, So it's a complete contrast to what Michael is trying to achieve. So you've got, you got to bear that in mind. So maybe it wasn't quite the right decision whilst he's a good manager and maybe the right manager it's just probably for the wrong club. And I think we're seeing those um, those issues come to light because, as I say, in this game, I had no idea what Swansea were trying to do with the ball. There'll be a couple of sequences of passes in around um, Matt Grimes and, and Nathan Wood and Harry Darling that it'll go out to the wing-back, then it'll go into the channel. You're not utilising someone like Matt Grimes' strengths, for example. Get the ball through him, get it into get it into wide areas early and, and, and try and cause overlaps and overloads. Swansea have got a good enough squad to be more competitive, but just don't know what they're trying to achieve under Michael Duff at the moment. It's neither here nor there in terms of styles. It's just put 11 players on the pitch and let's see what's what.
1: Yeah, I find that very hard to disagree with Justin. I like Michael Duff. I think he's done cracking jobs at both Cheltenham and Barnsley. I think he's a good manager. But I did say when the appointment was made that it did seem like a bit of a strange one. And the main concern for me was mainly around the style of play because... Duff was playing quite differently at Barnsley to how Swansea were under Russell Martin. And I think we're now seeing the problems with that right here. If Swansea were playing well and not getting results, I'd give Duff the benefit of the doubt. But they are simply not not had the most difficult set of fixtures either, mm. by the way. Yeah. And he didn't help himself with his comments about the derby from a couple of weeks ago, which I think went down like a fart or a, let's be a bit more fl- a bit more blunt. <laughs> piece of shit in a lift because it it was just bad wasn't it Uh, and sometimes a club brings in a manager the team's good as well on paper but it just doesn't work out and I'm starting to put this in that category Swansea have been pretty spot on with their managerial appointments in recent years they haven't actually sacked a manager since 2017 because nearly all of them have been poached by Mm -hmm. other clubs but I wouldn't blame them for knocking this one on the head because it just doesn't seem to be working. Yeah, we six games in now,
0: seven games in now. So it is still, it's still very early. But I think the thing that worries me, and it's the same with a lot of clubs, is you've had an international break, two weeks to work on things, and if you don't come out of that international break with at least a game plan, um, then 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 I do really worry because Swansea had two weeks to prepare for this game, and it's a big game, so you spend your two weeks preparing for it, and it just doesn't look like they they did it. No, I'm not. You can't really comment on what happens on the training ground, but what happened on the training ground for them to turn out that sort of display? It was, it was pedestrian. It was poor, and it just lacked absolutely no purpose or direction
1: at all. Let's talk Cardiff. Just in a huge win, just their second of the season, as well as only their second in the last ten South Wales derbies. George on Twitter says this is a massive turning point. James says it was the best night ever. I bet it was. Michael says keep Duff in, and uh, Evan says Ollie Tanner superstar. Young Ollie Tanner was the hero. Twenty-one years old, scored the first goal, which was an absolute beauty, then won the penalty for the second. He was only on the pitch for a matter of seconds before he scored as well. But he, he was just phenomenal. And his fourth league appearance for Cardiff as well. And I remember when they signed him last summer, there was quite a lot of excitement from Cardiff fans. He had been playing for Lewis in the seventh tier of English football. Tottenham were going to sign him, but some social media posts surfaced, which meant that didn't happen. So Cardiff managed to get themselves a play, which was interesting Premier League sides. And he looks a talented lad, doesn't he? He
0: does because his goal for me was the goal of the weekend. The trap of that the trap of the cross field pass, which was a brilliant pass by the way. The quality of the dip of the shoulder and, and then the um, and then the strike on his weaker foot, powerful, powerful strike into the bottom corner. Rushworth, Rushworth had no chance. It was fantastic, and you're right. Sometimes you need a player to spark a game, and Oli Tanner came on, and he did. And I think Cardiff impressed me. They controlled what was a quite a poor game, what was a quite a close derby. Um, but it's like that final bit of quality, and Oli Tanner comes on and um, and delivers it with with relative ease. It was a penalty, by the way. I know he's, I know Pedersen's feet were outside the box, but he pulled Tanner down while he was inside the box. So definitely, definitely a penalty
1: in my eyes. I wasn't too sure personally, but you know, it didn't really matter because Swansea definitely didn't deserve anything from the game. Could this be uh, could this result be a catalyst for Cardiff to go on to better things, Justin? Because they haven't been great so far, but this is the kind of result that can certainly spark a good run of farm, couldn't it? Hopefully. I think, like I said, it was a
0: relatively poor game that lacked a bit of quality. Um, and obviously Tanner coming on and providing it in abundance, but yako mate impressed me a lot. I think that strike just after half-time, by the way, was absolutely bonkers because it barely dipped and then Rushworth pulled out what was quite a strange save. But yeah, the second half, I think if they, if they can replicate that second half performance going forward. So the first half was just a poor, close, closely fought Derby. They can replicate that second half going forward. So I really do think they can they can pick up form, but they, they they do need to improve that quality in the final. So that's the only thing I would, I would bring away from it.
1: Yeah, I remain very sceptical about Cardiff. Call me cynical, but I think the win on Saturday night was about 80%, Swansea being awful, as opposed to Cardiff being great. The other win came against a hapless Sheffield Wednesday, thanks to a rather debatable penalty. So I certainly still have long-term concerns but it is early days and there are bullets you've got a manager like him who's never managed in this country before you've got to give him time haven't you so they've certainly been very competitive in every game which is more than you can say about plenty of teams in the division so far this season so that's certainly a positive um but i'm i am i i can't get too carried away about Cardiff just yet, I've got to say. Mm. In what some may deem an early relegation six-pointer, Huddersfield beat Rotherham 2-0. A massive win for Huddersfield, without a doubt, just their second one of the season. But despite the victory, the story is more about Neil Warlock's future, which is very much up in the air. He said after the game, well, there's a press conference on Monday, one o'clock, I think it is, so we'll discuss it there. I mean, based off that, would be more surprising if he were to turn around and say I'm staying, <laughs> wouldn't it? Uh, but, I mean that would be quite the turn up for the books, wouldn't it? So it sounds like he's probably going, Justin, mm. which I think could be fairly disastrous. Maybe not disastrous, but I think it would be disappointing from a Huddersfield
0: perspective because you'd expect him to at least be um, in charge for a few more months, given the transition that the club has made and the, the relatively lack of anything in the summer, really, by way of by way of
1: recruitment. Um, thought, so you want thing, to- that's why I say disastrous because, as as we've said repeatedly, that squad is simply the worst in the division, for me. And the the main hope I gave for them staying up is because of the Neil Warnock factor, which I think is enormous. Mm. But it, it's clearly friction between him and the board now. He's been calling she out the board for a while, so
0: it's not really a surprise that the board is saying, "Well, we don't. We, we might as well just go and get somebody else if if, if he's not." Not not bothered, but if he's if he's causing us a fair bit of earache, which he probably is. But Neil Warnock, he knows what this division is about. So, OK, I do agree with you. It will be a huge, huge negative for Huddersfield. I don't think it'll be a disaster because you don't know
1: who they're going to bring in. Um, but but well, for yeah, me, just, I think... just if, Justin, we, we've spoke about this before. when we were. You, I think you said literally two weeks ago, just before the international break, that if Neil Warnock isn't there, you don't see Huddersfield staying up.
0: absolutely I I do I do uh, have the same thoughts but I I, you can't really judge them until they bring the the next manager in the next manager could be Pat Guardiola they could have pulled off a massive coup for example not that he'd be able to get a tune out of this team because it's not really set up to to play to his style but you know what I mean the the next manager could be another Neil Warnock type you know it's just that sort of line but I do do agree their chances of staying up um, do diminish Considerably without Neil Warnock at the helm, um, but a new manager can come in, win six games on the bounce, and and completely change um, completely change expectations and you know the outcome of the, uh, the of the season. But if you look at this or what they've been putting out so far, the performances have been fairly okay. They just haven't been putting the ball in the back of the net. Um, and this this win here was was a, should be a catalyst for them going forwards.
1: Well, TalkSport has been reporting that a mystery overseas boss has been lined up, which... Pep. Pep, yeah. Well, he's not overseas, is he? Because he's based in the UK now. Mm, um, although mystery overseas boss does sound like something from a TV drama, doesn't it? It's like, the doors of the changing rooms open and in walks Mark <laughs> Fotheringham. Um... <laughs> has he gone back to Germany? Is that what... <laughs> he's flown back to Germany and now he's a mystery overseas boss. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <shouldas. laughs> I, I Well... What I will say on that is I think it's a tough ask for someone from overseas to come in and keep that squad up because, you know, I think you need someone who's got a bit of know-how like what Neil Warnock offers. And unless they have pulled off an absolute blinder, which I would be absolutely surprised about based off how the club's been run so far, then I can't see them staying up. Yeah, Well. <laughs> I, I, it's really, it is an incredibly difficult
0: scenario to, to to really pass opinion and judgment on, mainly because we don't know who this mystery overseas manager is. But given their track record of recruiting mystery overseas managers, Jan C.
1: were Mark Fotheringham,
0: My guess, counts because he was based over in Germany. Uh, that
1: was the old re- regime, Justin. What I'm talking more about is how the recruitment's been this summer, which has just been non-existent.
0: Yeah, so does that give you the belief that they can... Go ahead and and
1: find a coop of a manager. Nope. Oh, they go simple. Well, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. You're the one who's been saying we'll wait and see who they get it. Yeah, but I don't want to down. I don't want to push it as a disaster, and a, you know, I want to. I don't want it to be such a, a downcast for
0: the fans because a new manager should be a sign of, of of exciting things. It just depends who that new manager is. It Mark could be, it could be a Mark <laughs> Forsteringo, or it could be a Carlos Corberan. That's the that's the coin toss, isn't it, with food.
1: Yeah. Well, let's move on to Rotherham because it's now four losses from six games now for them. Losing to one of your main rivals to stay up is especially not good. And I'm getting the sense that it's going to be a long, hard season for Rotherham United, Justin. Yep. A lot of Rotherham fans telling me the squad's good enough.
0: Don't think it is. And I think this performance proves it. OK, they have had injuries so far. But this was a game where you... the, the, The game should be a lot closer than it was. Rotherham didn't create anything other than hitting the bar from a set piece. They shafted themselves. They had chances to clear the ball for Huddersfield's first. They didn't. They were all at seas. um They didn't get into shape quick enough, defensive shape, quick enough, quick enough, and they, and they were punished. Um, and Huddersfield, I, I think, two 0 probably flat as Rotherham. I think Huddersfield created a lot more chances to to come away from that game um, with a, with a bigger lead, but they didn't. Um, Huddersfield had their number out of possession. They were happy to counter and 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 found a lot of freedom freedom breaking through uh, through the first. That doesn't tell me that's a team full of quality when. There's a, there's a potential relegation candidate playing through you with great ease, as Huddersfield did.
1: Well, their away form in particular is a real problem, isn't it? They've now gone nearly a whole year without an away win. Three losses on their travels already this season. And the fact is, Huddersfield could have won by more, couldn't they? Granted, Rotherham hit the bar from a header, but they were comfortably beaten by one of the poorer teams in the division. And that's a big concern. Let's be honest, Rotherham haven't been playing very well at all so far. They're yet to manage more than 10 shots in a game. Meanwhile, they have faced at, at least 11 shots in every game. They've been comfortably beat on XG in every game so far as well. I actually went back and watched each of the goals they've scored. And all of them are from fairly hopeful balls into the box. Apart from one, which was a mistake by Blackburn passing around at the back earlier mm-hmm. in the season. So is the game plan just to get into the box and hope it hits Jordan Hugill's head. If so, Rotherham are in deep trouble, <laughs> even deeper trouble than they already seem to be after this recent run of results it's another loss for middlesbrough after they're beaten 2-1 away at blackburn a three-word review from matt on twitter shite shite and more shite technically more than three words but we get the picture Uh, thanks for getting in touch one point from six games they've become one of 14 teams in championship history to only pick up a point or less from their first six games sheffield wednesday are obviously other but how many of the previous 12 do you think got relegated justin I would say three. A low, a low number. Okay. Well, you've done that annoying thing now where you've gone too low and made the stat less surprising. Only Sorry. five have actually been relegated from the previous 12 to only get one point from six games. But how many of those teams went on to finish in the top half, Justin? <laughs> uh, oh, two. Just one. Nottingham mm. Forest a couple of seasons ago. Wow. So not impossible to have a miraculous turnaround, but... Feels like it's quite a way off right now, doesn't it? Well, it's a change of expectation, I think, isn't it?
0: You've got to you've got to realign every supporter, maybe the players and manager got to realign what they expect to, to come from this season. I'm not saying that they they haven't, but my expectation was Burra were going to push for promotion because I look at the quality they had last season. I thought at the time of recording those preseason predictions. They will get transfer deals done early. They they didn't. They waited a long time and they they trickled through throughout August. And um, I, I think I do think, I do think Michael Carrick's been shifted a little bit. And I think that that massive dip in quality is where Middlesbrough are really suffering. That being said, they're far too open defensively. They're they're giving opposition far too many, far too many chances in games. It's quite frightening, really, how open they are. And it's you know Blackburn cut through them at times with with with, with great ease. It's re- I don't want to I don't want to criticise Michael Carrick too much because he did a great job last season, but at what point do you start thinking about changing manager? How long can a team underperform for before you change a manager? I thought it was a, a difficult decision for Chris Wilder, but he made the arguments with the board and whatnot, made it a very, very easy decision in the end. But at what point do you start thinking that Michael Carrick might not be the man I don't know it's, it's, it's a weird question to think about because he is a, a very gifted manager
1: Yeah failing to score chances remains the big headline for Borough it's under Emmanuel Latte Laugh. I mean the poor lad's having a nightmare start to his Borough career isn't he but defensively they were massively exposed we've mentioned how Senny Dieng's not not a great start for Borough but he was there mad at the match against Blackburn he kept the score down so Middlesbrough have gone from having defensive issues last season, but it not mattering because they were outscoring teams, to still having defensive issues and not being able to score now. And I don't know where Middlesbrough go from here. The obvious answer would be to sack Michael Carrick, but I don't think he's to blame when his side are failing to put away chances and the summer transfer window simply wasn't good enough also, if you sack him, who's the answer? That's a bigger question. Isn't it? Who do you get in to sort mm-hmm. this mess out? They have got Sheffield Wednesday midweek. So something's got to give in that particular fixture, but it's not looking very good, is it, from a Borough perspective. A great win and great performance for Blackburn in their 5,000th game, no less. Gavin on Twitter says it should have been six. And uh, <laughs> I'm not going to disagree with uh, Gavin on that one, Justin. It was a very good performance from Blackburn, on not it was a brilliant performance and and, and they deserved
0: the, the outcome of this game, albeit not putting those chances away, which has been an issue for the season because they are one of the most creative teams in the division, um, which might surprise a few, but they just haven't had the... In of quality in the final third, but they look good in this game. They they were breaking quick. The opening goal was drive forward from Hayden Carter, really confident drive forward from from him and a smart dummy from Sam Gallagher. It was like watching peak Tony Mowbray ball, you know, where they were really swashbuckling going forward at times, which might piss a few Blackburn fans off, but you sort of get the gist because Thomason's sort of making this making his team his own. Um, and the finish from from schmodix was 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 lovely. And again, they punished Borough by taking advantage of the huge amount of space. They left them in that second half for, for Schmardik's to, to to put away again. But it's quite interesting that those two goals were probably the the harder goals uh, of the chances they created um, throughout the game because they certainly had easy ones stolen. Mister an absolute glorious header. But you've got to really, got to be impressed with with Blackburn's form. It's much more sustainable now than it was than it was last season.
1: Yeah. Well, Blackburn have actually started the season really well. And I know Blackburn fans, mainly in a moment, just to get to grips with receiving praise from me after I was. Wearing a Blackburn shirt as well. Exactly. I completely forgot about that. Uh, I've gone full Blackburn mode, haven't I? Um, <laughs> yeah, as I was saying, I was rather critical of them last season, but that was last season. Let's forget about that now. This season, <laughs> I think they have been playing really well. Some of the games have been a bit chaotic, like this one against Borough and against Plymouth just before the international break. But I'm enjoying it and it's working for Rovers and it feels like they are just missing a clinical goal scorer. I mean, Sammy Schmodix has been excellent so far, but I'm unsure whether it will last. Sam Gallagher's never been particularly clinical, has he? Maybe new signing, Semi Tlalovic, could be what they need. Despite that, I've liked what I've seen of Blackburn this season. I've been quite impressed.
0: No, you're you're absolutely spot on. I'm just thinking back to you being on the, the now positive PR campaign trail to get Blackburn fans back on back on side after saying I don't care if they're on side or not, Justin. I just say <laughs> what I'm seeing. Oh no, it's just it's just the comment about oh, yeah, last season's last season. Not for Blackburn fans. They don't forgive, they don't forget, Ryan. We we all know your where <laughs> your alliances were. Well last season anyway, not gonna speculate. What but alliances? You, <laughs> your agenda, of course. Do you forget okay. about the agenda?
1: <laughs> I completely forgot what we were talking about. Praising Blackburn, was it? Wasn't it? Yeah, I've not forgotten what we were talking about. Let's take a quick break. While I just sort <laughs> Justin out. After that, we'll talk about Sheffield Wednesday losing <laughs> again, and then we'll also talk about a very impressive performance from Leeds United. Welcome back to the second tier podcast. Sheffield Wednesday are stuck on one point after losing again, this time a 1-0 defeat to Ipswich Town. We've been saying recently that Wednesday have been getting better. Well, they weren't here. They were woeful. No shot on target, not even a chance created from memory. This was just bad. The scoreline doesn't do this one justice. Ipswich should have scored more and Wednesday should have had minus one. Uh, I'm not really sure what the answer is for Wednesday at this point, Justin.
0: No, I mean, what's the question? Do they do they change manager? Do they change ownership? Is is it a difficult one. They, all of uh, the do, above, I think. <laughs> all of the above, yeah. All of the above. They they deserve praise for those for those uplift that uplifted performances uh, in the two games leading up to the break. But this was really poor. It felt like three steps backward, not one step backwards. Um, they they were, Wednesday were quite fortunate that Vasquez had a good game in goal because it could have been quite embarrassing especially in the first half it does make you question whether or not Isco's out of his depth I mean the clear answer is he is you need a manager with more experience in his position and he just doesn't have it it's not his fault he's just not right for the role we were talking about Michael Duff being the right man at the wrong club Isco's the wrong man at the The club, it's not really right or or wrong, is it,
1: uh, for a football club? But you get get what I mean. (laughs) He's the wrong man at a club. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, even though they were improving, they were still quite a way off from getting a win, weren't they? And now they've taken a step further back in that respect. I mean... Losing to a very impressive Ipswich side is not anything to be ashamed about, but it's not it's not them losing, it's the way they lost because the they weren't even competitive. So it's a pretty sorry state that they're already in, and I mean, is it ridiculous to relegate a side after six games? Because I just cannot see them staying up. The only thing is if they sack Munoz relatively soon and make an impressive appointment, but the owner's a clown. So the chances of them making the right appointment, I would say, are relatively slim. The right appointment that they've made over since Carlos
0: Carpeau left was Darren Moore, wasn't it? And it, but everything <laughs> went tits under him because of a, a disagreement over whatever... <laughs> But you, you, you get the point. Uh, Transfiri has got two appointments right in the last few years, or under his whole regime. <laughs> the rest of them have been terrible. albeit Steve Bruce was there for a short period of time, and things were looking up on him, but probably not enough time to really to really judge him. But as I say, you, if you remove Isco, who's who's next? Who's going to want this job? Who's going to want this job at a bas- basket case case of a football club where your owner is has too much control. Uh, of, of the club he should he should hand it over
1: to, to other and, people and because of the highly publicised fiasco of Darren Moore it's not a very great it's not a very good advertisement for working under Chan Siri is it? Exactly and we've not even spoke about how short the squad is of ability
0: youth pace and quality it's not doesn't have talent. any of that in a, a talent <laughs> yeah I mean it's a bit harsh on some of the players that are there because they do have some really good players but um You've just got to question Wednesday and where where they're heading because they are hurtling towards League One and we're only a handful of games into the into the new season. It's just
1: diabolical. Just saying, lowest points tally ever in the Championship was Rotherham twenty seventeen with twenty three points, five wins, eight draws. Just going to leave that one. There, Uh, from an Ipswich perspective, Mauricio says this is easy, and Jason says the tractor keeps on rolling. Ipswich have now gone a club record 12 straight away games unbeaten. Their win percentage since mid February is now 86 percent. That's home and away, which is just remarkable. The Ipswich are going up. Tractor is purring, Justin. Uh, Ipswich have got Southampton away in midweek. Good time to play them. Mirwall nil leads three. I thought Leeds were frighteningly good here, Justin. Yeah, really impressed with him.
0: Watched it back after the CrossFit competition I had. Uh, Just kind of dropped that one straight in there. And it was a really effective team performance. You've got to have that sort of togetherness, especially going away at Millwall, whenever it can be a bit of a cliche, but it is a a tough place to, to go and get a result and impose your game as easily as Leeds did. And they did it very, very easily. It was probably one of the best Um, team performance of the season so far they controlled the game despite not dominating possession they were creating an abundance of chances and some key players really took hold of that game I think the challenge now is to assert that level of dominance um, into their home games and and be as clinical as as they were in this game because it was a really really good eight and a half nine out of ten performance that you want to see more from Leeds yeah
1: well this it felt like a real statement win for me, And Leeds have been a bit up and down so far, haven't they? But this was definitely the most complete performance we've seen from them. Joel Pirro scored two. That's why he's my pick to be top goal scorer. I could see him getting a big goal tally this season. Jorginho Ruta was excellent. Seems to be fully embracing the drop down to the championship. Ethan Ampadu and Archie Gray in the middle of the park are just top really? class. And they looked a lot more solid at the back as well than they have been so far this season. Now that the chaos of the summer is out of the way... Hopefully Leeds can crack on and start focusing on the actual football. And if this is anything to go by, they're quite good at the actual football, aren't they? They are. And I think I, I just want to take a moment to really praise the appointment of Daniel Farker as well,
0: because he did have it—he did have a tough hand dealt to him in, 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 in his timing of the appointment and the timing of uh, the transfers over the summer and players going out, etc. He had a tough, tough, tough ride. Um, but he knows the championship incredibly well, and you know you can get results out of him, and you know what you expect from him. You expect a team that is going to be capable of pushing for promotion. Can't really say the same about Enzo Maresco because he's uh, at Leicester, because he's he's new to the league. He's a new he's new to being a manager, or relatively experienced as a manager. And then same with Russell Martin as well. So you've got to really praise the appointment of Daniel Farker because they are ticking along nicely, and I think coming straight after that international break, which really helped Leeds. I think under Daniel Farker get those get those weeks
1: in with his squad I think they they can really kick on well I was quite sceptical when they appointed him but I think he deserves plenty of credit for how he's handled the situation over the summer with uh, the chaos of players leaving Um, and I've got a lot more respect for him um, after that. I mean, I had a lot of respect for him anyway because of how he did with Norwich before, but I think he handled that really, really well and I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. In the Ryan Lowe derby, Preston beat Plymouth 2-1 to remain top of the championship. Harvey called it a nail-biting performance for Preston they've won five league games on the trot for the first time since 2015 and it was a great game this very end-to-end either could have won it but the Great Wall of Lancashire stood firm despite a lot of Plymouth pressure one man stole the show though for Preston and it was on his debut Canadian international Liam Miller scored a very well taken goal set up the first as well but he was a thorn in Plymouth's side all afternoon and I was extremely impressed with him when he was running at players. He had them on toast every time. Just caused so many problems. He's on loan from FC Basel in Switzerland. Used to be at Liverpool as well. I think he was at Charlton at one point in League One. Only 23 though. If this is a sign of things to come, he looks like he could be a very exciting for player for Preston this season.
0: Well, you need that little bit of quality in your team, don't he? Um, don't you? So I think being able to capture someone like Liam Miller. Um, and 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 dot around uh, a couple of players of that caliber as well. I think that can really really push them on. Obviously, I questioned their attack earlier on in the summer, but I think the thing I think uh, that's impressing me is that they're, they're brilliant. They're already brilliant defensively. They were good defensively last season, but they're brilliant once again. But they're taking chances as well, which you can argue wasn't the case last season. They really struggled to convert on the regular, and that's without having like. The players like Emil Reese, uh, available back fit, Chad Evans, back fit, etc. There are players still to come into this team. So, based on that, can they improve? Based on the players like Liam Miller coming in and, and adding that little bit of quality, can they improve? Maybe. Uh, it's a, a, an interesting scenario for them to be in because they've 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 performed way, way beyond my expectations.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's safe to say, considering they were your (laughs) underachievers just in and now they're top of the league. overachievers Massively. Um, Preston do have a tricky game in midweek. Birmingham at home. Let's talk about them now because Watford scored twice in injury time to secure their first win since the opening day by beating Birmingham 2-0. It's worth saying Birmingham had a man sent off just before the first goal. I mean, what a header by Mileta Riewicz. I'm starting to become a big fan of the big man. Didn't really do much for the rest of the game, but there's something quite entertaining about having a big boy like him up top. Ryan Andrews got on the score sheet for Watford. His first professional goal, he's the son of Wayne Andrews. He used to play for Watford and Crystal Palace. Some people may remember. But he's fun. been at Watford since he was eight. So a great moment for him. But I've been impressed with him whenever I've seen him in a Watford shirt. Justin, how about you? <laughs>
0: I think he's been trusted by Ishmael. I think that's a big thing because he's he already made a few starts. He started four games so far this season, so he's always been already been trusted with uh, by by Ishmael so far. Um, and I think that's the, the the key thing. If you're trusted by a, a new manager coming in, you've you've clearly impressed over pre season. So for him to come in and, and and take to the team with relative comfortability, I think is a, is a, is a big thing. So if you can again just consistency, keep pushing these performances uh, going on. He'll be a big, big player for, for Watford this season. And I think they need players coming through as well, because um, you've got to turn those,
1: turn those youngsters into jewels to, to sell on at uh, a uh, later date. Yeah, but he's only just turned 19. And yeah. he's already played quite a few games now for Watford. But he loves getting forwards. If we go back to that Valerie and Ishmael team on, when he was at Barnsley, wing-backs were so important uh, to the system that Ishmael wanted to play. And if that's anything to go by, then Andrews is under the right manager because he's going to really take his game to the next level under Ishmael Linty and I think Watford have got a very very talented player on their hands based off what I've seen of him so far I really liked it Norwich got back to winning ways by beating Stoke 1-0 Jack Stacey with the goal not a totally convincing win for Norwich the second half in particular was a nervy one but they got the job done Chris on Twitter said they ground out the result we raised questions about them scoring goals with Josh Sargent out injured helps when your right back pops up with his second goal in four years uh, four losses from five for Stoke now, considering Stoke fans were giving us so much stick regarding their transfer window. Not exactly doing much on the pitch right now to prove us wrong, are they? It wasn't the worst performance from them, but you are right. It was a lot of
0: a a lot of um, high volume of deals to come through the door over the summer. And there are a lot of unknowns with players coming from, from clubs overseas. You just expect that a little bit because you don't know whether they're going to adapt to the championship. You don't know whether they're going to adapt quickly. That's a key thing. Um, and I think they're sort of having those teething issues at the moment. But you're right; four losses in five is 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 probably not a good enough record when you compare that to their spend this summer. They, they do expect, <laughs> you do expect that's it, that you expect a little bit more. And obviously, if if Stoke fans were suggesting they'd have a they'd had a good enough uh, as good a window as they, they are saying, then maybe you expect better better than four four,
1: four losses in five. Well, they signed seven forwards in the transfer window and have scored one goal in their last five league games. Yeah, and good. look, look, we didn't think it was a bad transfer window by any means, did we? We were saying it was a really, really good transfer window, just not maybe as good as Stoke fans were making it out to be. And I, I don't think they've been playing particularly badly, but I'm yet to see the amazing revolution that Stoke fans have told us is coming. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: ultimately so far, it seems like it's just more of the same from recent seasons, despite all these new signings. And that's something they've got to try and figure out how they're going to start progressing as a football club because they've been stagnating now for just so long, haven't they? It's time for them to actually progress forward instead of just being what they have been. Sunderland made it four games unbeaten after winning 3-1 away at QPR. They were helped by the home side being down to 10 men for nearly 70 minutes, mind you. Sunderland, not a team you want to be down to 10 men against, are they? Jack Clark's a bloody good player, isn't he? In the second half against QPR, he was excellent. And he is, without a doubt, one of the best wingers in the division, is Well,
0: I said that last, last season he was unlucky not to be higher in consideration for our player of the season because he was incredible. But he's bringing that into the season again. He's he's such a good player to watch. And he's he's a classic wing where he wants to get at his fullback. You don't really... See it too often, but he's got so much poise and technical ability that you, you, you're glad it's coming to fruition once again because he burst onto the scene at Leeds, dropped off considerably. Now he's found a home again at uh, Sunderland, which is a which is a great thing, and he's he's enjoying his football, and that's the key thing. And as you say, he was a key player in this game, and I think he's a key player for Sunderland. It's the, it's the sort of player you want to build your team around, and it, and he's showing it. He's, he's
1: a, a wonderful player to watch. Yeah. Now got 24 goal contributions in the championship since the start of last season, which is even more impressive when you remember that he was playing at wing back for a large chunk of yeah. last season. And it's a bit mad. He's a bit mad that he's still only 22 because mm. he's been around for so long now that it feels like he's older. But he is just an unbelievable player, and he's destined for the Premier League. I'm very confident about that. And any success that Sunderland have this season a lot of that will rest on his shoulders, as well as other factors. But in particular, he is the key player. For Sunderland into. Yeah. A late Aaron Connolly equaliser saw Hull draw one all with Coventry, unbeaten in five games now. Hull oh, Coventry drawing a lot of games in comparison to that. And Bristol City against West Brom finished goalless. West Brom had a rather obvious penalty turned down mm. in this one, but they didn't manage a shot on target. So would have been a bit undeserved if they got a win here. Not that Bristol City were particularly outstanding either. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And Sheffield Wednesday owner Depan Chansiri has released yet another statement about the departure of Darren Moore. Yes, Justin, I was rolling my eyes mm. as well. after Moore said he didn't leave because of contractual or financial reasons and that Chansiri set unrealistic targets. But Chansiri said in a very long statement that that was totally untrue and it was about money. I feel sorry for the media team at Wednesday because keeping yeah. a lid on Chancery sounds like an absolute bloody nightmare.
0: And as well as that, the amount of work the local press are going that they've had to do to cover all these nonsense things coming out of the club. You know, they're having to pull in many hours, I imagine. But you don't have to say anything, do you? Just shut up. As a leader or owner, comes a point where you don't need to say anything. You didn't need to reply to Darren Moore. Just shut up. If you, it just feels like you're seeking reassurance. It, you're supposed to have an ego, but it's so fragile that you feel that you need to to come out again and just shut up. That's it. Be quiet. Just shut up. Get on with club, quiet, mate. Just people will judge you on the success of your tenure as a, as an owner, and right now it's in the gutter. That should be your worry, not
1: what Darren Moore said. Put your club on a better path because it's on a shit one. Simple. Yeah. It's not what you want from a responsible owner, is it? Just move on from these kind of things. And you are absolutely right. He's not gonna get judged on I mean, he's getting poorly judged on things like this. He'll get betterly it will get better judged if results start happening on the pitch, which but, just but isn't he, happening.
0: Yeah, but he can say all of this, but if the club's being success, no one gives a shit about what he's saying about Darren Moore. Because the club's a success, but it isn't. It's in the gutter. You're going down and you're going down with all of this bad PR because you can't keep your mouth shut. Simple.
1: Shut up. Carlton Palmer's felt into not it? Um, <laughs> I think it says a lot as well that. I don't know if you saw the pictures, but there was a banner at Hillsborough mm-hmm. which said, thank you, Deponchan Siri, which was painted on uh, before the game against Ipswich. And then it said, It was painted over the thank you bit and also Chancery's face. It was instantly taken down as well by the stewards afterwards. So I think that says a lot about the feeling about uh, Chancery and Sheffield Wednesday as a whole at the moment. Birmingham boss John Eustace says the Rangers' job doesn't interest him at all. He's been linked with a move to Glasgow with McBeal under pressure there, but Eustace says he's very, very happy in the West Midlands. Well done, John Eustace, eh, Justin? Yeah, absolutely. McBeal fucked it, didn't he? It's
0: simple. (laughs) Uh, you don't want to you don't want to take a job too soon. That's as big as the Ranger job because it is a big job. Or bit you're playing in the in the SPL, but you have got opportunities to play European football and really increase your profile, like Steven Gerrard did. But as we saw with Steven Gerrard, it came down very very quickly because the standard in Scotland just isn't as competitive as it is in the Championship. Simple answer. Um, so yeah, fair play, John Eustace. I like that he's just come out and said it because not many managers do. Sometimes he dance around it, and he didn't. He just said he doesn't interest him. Big thumbs up, John.
1: Yeah, definitely. The Athletics say Watford are in talks to give head coach Valerian Ishmael a new long-term contract after just six league games in charge. He signed a three-year deal only in May, but the club are now exploring the chance of increasing its length. What? (laughs) I'm very confused, Justin. (laughs) Opposite end of the Watford spectrum, isn't it? It it is, isn't it? It really, really is. look, Look, I admire Watford. Finally looking as if they're committing to a coach and not continuing to hire and fire. But it feels like they're going far too far too far the
0: other way. Yeah, it's it's, extremely the other way. But fair enough, because he might have a release clause in his contract at the moment and you might get clubs sniffing around him because their start albeit results haven't been great. Performances have been good. Um, and there's been some really solid foundations put down by Ishmael. But yeah, giving him a new deal after signing a three-year deal, or, or maybe they'll put him on a shorter deal to reduce his compensation package um, in case results do go sour. But did say at the start of the season, I said he'd last a season. He's you going did. to
1: get too expensive to sack him now if he signs a longer contract. Just impeach the oracle. Um, <laughs> but look... If he had won five of his first six games, then I could understand. it. But he just feels so random. He's won two, drawn two, lost two. It's not outstanding, is it? Table. I mean, look, it's just a three-year contract is fine, isn't mm. it? Just stick with that. If I'm being completely honest, I could see it all ending in tears. Because Watford, they've had an all right start to the season, haven't they? But as soon as they hit a bad form, you just know the Pozzos, they're going to be twitching. <laughs> He's
0: going to sign a new deal and he's going to get sacked two games later. That's what's going to happen, isn't it? It's a very Watford scenario to happen. So, I, I mean, Ishmael will be in the money if he does
1: because, as I say, compensation package will just increase if he signs a new yeah. contract. Ishmael's agent must be licking his lips. <laughs> Rotherham have signed Sam Klukas, the 32-year-old midfielder, has agreed a deal until the end of the season. Very Rotherham signing that, isn't it? Well, I like him. I like Sam Klukas. He's a good, versatile player. And if fit, can be a really,
0: really dangerous player in a championship. But he needs to stay injury free and retain that consistency that he has shown at times. It blows my mind, by the way, that he's 32. He's aged really well. Not surprised considering he's a ginger. So gives me the question or provides the question is what's your excuse?
1: And finally the player ratings have been revealed for the new EAFC game. Uh, I'm just mortally wounded after that. Um the player ratings have been revealed for the new EA FC game. That's the new name for the FIFA games. Nine of the 11 highest rated players in the championship play for Leicester. Ricardo Pereira and Wilfred Endili are top with a rating of 79. Jamie Vardy is next with 78. And then you have loads of players on 76. What do you think of that, Justin? Do you think they're fair ratings? If you, do you want me to give an answer that you want to hear, or do you want me to give an answer that I'm thinking? Definitely the one that you're
0: thinking. I don't give a shit. Play football okay. manager, kids. It's less addictive.
1: I mean, I haven't played FIFA in a long time now. I haven't played for years. I've lost interest. I, I play it every so often it. at, like, a, a mate's house or something, but I haven't brought the game myself in it's, a long, what, long time. You get to a certain age where FIFA gets better, or EA gets better if you're drinking. And that's the age <laughs> we're at. Yep. <laughs> Sadly, I can certainly identify with that. Let's do the polls. Oh. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners... Sorry, I was reaching down to get my phone then and realised that my back is killing me. Um, this is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this. Will Leicester win the championship this season, yes or no?
0: I, I'm going to say no. I, I, th- oh. I don't know. That's a really
1: hard question to answer. That's a really hard okay, question Okay, Justin, here's a better way of asking it. Who else is going to win the championship? No, uh, yeah, I don't know. It' Leicester. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Fair point. As much as you may not have necessarily been impressed with Leicester so far this season, it's hard to see who else is going to win. And that's Just why some, I think our point. pre-season expectations may be coming to fruition. Mm-hmm. 64% of people said Leicester will win the championship this season. 36% said no. Uh, who else has been suggested someone said Preston there you go (laughs) Um, (laughs) if they do win the league Leicester that is who finishes second Ipswich Leeds Norwich Southampton Leeds Leeds I think they're turning a corner you know who I'm going to say so I'm not even going to say it 51% of people said (laughs) Leeds 19% said Ipswich 16% said Norwich 14% said Southampton some other suggestions for you uh preston again sunderland hull coventry swansea basically anyone basically people just saying which team they support um Mm. and finally what is your favorite meat on a roast dinner beef lamb and pork justin you are a vegan as we all know why what do you have on a roast dinner what do I have in a roast
0: dinner? I have everything Grass. other than meat. Oh, you no, you're so ignorant. You're so so <laughs> ignorant.
1: No wonder no one likes you. That's <laughs> that's really harsh. It's all right. No one does. Um, <laughs> what do, do you What do you have roast dinners anymore? Yeah,
0: yeah, not as many uh, as I used to. I, I, my God, I do miss my mum's roast dinner.
1: What because do you have? That
0: was, then? I um, I'll have a beetroot Wellington, which is basically beetroot, carrot blended up. With um, with nuts in a in very a Dwight fruity of you, <laughs> yeah. Beats bears beats Battlestar Galactica baby. Let's go. <laughs>
1: um, back to the original question: <laughs> favorite meat on a roast dinner? Fifty-one percent said beef, thirty-one percent said lamb, eighteen percent said pork. I'm of a pork. Pork. I, 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 I like, like roast pork. dinner. Yeah. I have a word. No, no, like no. Pork.
0: That's a that's a head's got that. That's bad.
1: What was your favorite when you used to eat meat? beef's nice on a roast dinner but it it can be dry so I'd just go chicken I didn't want to put chicken in because I feel like chicken's a bit of a cop out for a roast dinner
0: Mm, it is easy it is easy but you can season chicken better than any other meat so chicken
1: really just have gravy on it I suppose, doesn't really matter, does it? Just yeah. Dull, dull British <laughs> meal. So <laughs> many crazy. people are going to be so frustrated that we spent more time talking about roast dinners than some of their games, but <laughs> um, there we go. <laughs> now it's time for this. Hi, Simon, Grayson Edge. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. So I'm going to ask Justin to name eight of a certain subject. All he's got to do is name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say, name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, and he would say Villa, that's one down, and then Newcastle, that's another down. But if Justin were then to say Weymouth, he would lose a life. So all he needs to do is give me all eight answers without losing all of his lives. Justin, you're allowed to get three wrong on this one. How does wow. that sound? Yeah, it's really generous. Nice. Well, let's see how what you're thinking mm-hmm. after you actually hear the question. Name for me the eight... Youngest managers currently in the championship. Who are you going for first, big boy?
0: They get younger every year, don't they? The bloody whippersnappers. Um, that's actually really hard.
1: That's really really. Glad you've got three lives now, haven't you? Yeah, Russell Martin's the youngest. Russell Martin is the second youngest. Um, Seems strange because it seems like he's been around for ages. Uh, 37 he is. So that is correct. You've got one.
0: He's 37.
1: Um, I'm going to go with next. Um, Matt Taylor. Matt Taylor is 41. I can hear some typing there, Justin. You better not be searching. I'm not searching. I can't search and
0: find answers quick enough. Have a word. Come on.
1: Matt Taylor is sixth. He's 41, which is correct. Um, So that's two down. You've got six to go. I don't know how old Enzo Maresco is.
0: I feel like he's older than 41. Um, So I'll throw Michael Duff in. He must be 40.
1: Michael Duff is not on there. So you've lost a life, Justin. That's one down already. Um, Don't know how old he is. I didn't write it down. Um, So you've got two lives remaining. I'm going to go with um,
0: Carlos Corbran next. I think he's quite young.
1: Carlos Corbran is correct. He is 40, the fifth youngest manager in the championship. So you've got five to go. I'm just thinking about hairlines. Wise. Yeah. Steven Schumacher has got a good head of hair. He has. And he's also the fourth youngest manager in the championship. He is 39. You are correct. You're halfway there. I think I've unlocked a trick for this one. Ryan Lowe has
0: got to be the next one.
1: (laughs) Ryan Lowe is not on there. You are incorrect. He is is 44, which is too old for this list. Mm. Despite 44 being quite young, that's how low the bar is, Justin. You've got one life remaining. He played until he was quite old, so I, I've shattered myself there. Kieran McKenna is the next one. Kieran McKenna is correct. He is the youngest manager in the Championship. He is a baby at 37 years old. God, it's quite scary, isn't it, when managers are, are less than 10 years older than us now, isn't it? Um, you've got three remaining, Justin. Um, one life left. Liam senior. Right Ian is correct. He's the third youngest manager in the championship at the age of 39. Two remaining. And it's the two oldest ones on Ooh. this list that you're looking for. Uh, you Got to gamble. Got to say,
0: Rosinia probably the only manager that has a skin fade other than the bold ones. So fair play to him. Not many managers do. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> random, random interlude. Uh, John Eustace. Oh, He retired when he was really old.
1: <laughs> you, the you going with him I think he's had a hair transplant as well Shit. you going with him yeah go on then John Eustace is 43 which is too old for this list I'm afraid Justin the cutoff was 42 so you're literally mm. just a year off the managers you were looking for let's go wasn't on there either He's oh, forty three too. Great head yeah.
0: of hair, incredible.
1: Superb head of hair. Um, the managers you were looking for, one of them doesn't have a great head of hair. Alex Neal, forty two.
0: Oh, that's a shame. He looks a lot
1: older than forty two, which is that is so different.
0: unnecessarily. Yeah, it is.
1: That wasn't. That was not needed. The other manager <laughs> you're looking for was Michael Carrick, who oh. is also forty two. Uh, there you go. That's been Simon Grayson, Take For eh? This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday for our first set of midweek games of the season. So you've got that to look forward to. We'll review all the games from midweek and uh, we look forward to bloody seeing you then. We'll also talk about some of the news, of course, from the coming days. Will Neil Warnock still be in the job at Huddersfield? We'll find out on Thursday. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Second tier is a Stack Production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands.